So we'll just start with uh, some questions or and some any comments that anyone has, and it could be about what I talked about tonight. It could be about the um, exercises that you did as part of the homework. Um, anything related to this particular class? Okay. Yeah. yeah um, so, in the distinction of the uh, of the. What you're calling the ontological interdependence interdependence of subject and object. Um, why do we say that that's not present in uh, in the lower levels of of ignorance and uh, activity formation? Uh, because it seems like that that kind of uh, duality is actually the basis of of ignorance to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm kind of speculating here, and I would really like your, uh, your view. Um, it seems to me that, uh, um, that ignorance has that, uh, has that duality, but perhaps it doesn't have the self-reflection or the self-recognition that the, that the subject-object um, objectivity begins to take place at that nama rupa mm -hmm. level. Well, first I say, um, like, as we move up the chain, um, like, ignorance is present all the way through. Yeah. So, um, so that's, that's just a first comment. Then secondly, um, uh, my sense of this ontological interdependence and this split into subject and object um, is that it develops uh, through a series of subtle stages and that ignorance is the first of those stages, which is the positing of a center in the field of experience. It's not a center that experiences itself from the rest of the field initially, but it's still a reference point. Mm -hmm. And so to me, experientially, that's how I relate to the most subtle quality of ignorance. And then at the next level, ignorance gets denser when you add activity formations. And then at the next level, it gets denser when you add structured consciousness. And then finally, when you get to materiality, um, mind and materiality, it gets dense enough that we actually experience ourselves as a separate entity from the world around mm -hmm. us. Okay. So it's, it's, a, it's a deepening density of ignorance is what I would say. Oh, but there are subtle, subtle the, the first subtle beginnings of this split, of this duality, start with avijja. But if we're talking about duality as experiencing self as separate from object, that doesn't fully come into clear view until namarupa. That's, that's great. I just had one point I wanted to ask on the clarification. Sure. Just for interdependence, interconnectedness, interpenetration, and the last one? Uh, identity. The identity, just the it's the identity of all things that they're that, that all things are are identical on some level, that that, that they are an identity, that they are a unity or a, a a whole, on some level. Quite different than the other three. Then. In a way, yes, it is quite different from the other three because, yeah, in it and the other three are moving towards that. So first, there's this sense of an interdependence between two that appear to be distinct, but yet nonetheless are depend on each other. And then there's the next layer where they come a little bit closer to where the two are actually interconnected. Right. 
but they're still sort of um, located a little differently but connected to each other. And then there's the interpenetration where they merge. But at that point, there's still the ability to, on some subtle level, even though they're occupying the same space, to discriminate between them. And then the ability to discriminate between the two is lost at the point of identity. So is that like helpful? One taste yeah, yeah, really. That's, that's really a lot of what it... One taste, yeah. that's right. That, what happens at that point is that that singular taste aspect comes to fore. That's the predominant quality that is present at that point of identity, where the, the link of the, what I call the eye of identity, of the four eyes. Yes? What is the type of Buddhism? Yin Buddhism is the particular school of Chinese Buddhism. It's kind of a philosophical school of China. Um, well, sometimes it's spelled H-W-A-Y-E-N, sometimes it's spelled H-U-A-Y-I-N. There's, there's different spellings because it's just a transliteration from Chinese into English, but Y-Yin is how it's pronounced. Yeah. And the, I, I'm not sure whether uh, in the readings this time, but there will be a, at least one reading from, on Y-Yin Buddhism in one of the uh, readings, suggested readings. So, yeah. Yes? Um, in the um, reading, I think it was the Burmese one, mm. um, I found that whole uh, thing about closing the sense doors mm -hmm. um, interesting and a little uh, unclear mm. exactly kind of how you do that. I mean, <laughs> it's just it, the idea of closing a door is so graphic or whatever, but that I guess... Uh, I've made such an effort to try to be present with my experience, you mm -hmm. know, like, to, oh, to enjoy the beauty of something. Mm -hmm. Like, now do I have to not? So, um, you know, part <laughs> of the purpose of the readings is to provide a variety of perspectives. And so I'm not, and I, and I have to say that, um, although I have read that selection within the past few weeks, I'm not remembering really clearly how that notion of closing the sense doors was meant, or how I took it when I read it. Um, but I, uh, I'm not suggesting closing the sense doors, okay? I, I want to be clear about that. I'm not suggesting that. I'm suggesting that we keep our experience open. What happens though, what's interesting, in my experience anyway, is that as we move down and we peel back the layers, and we peel back the layer of sense modalities, and particularly when we peel back the layer of mind and materiality, it's not so much like the sense doors are working much anymore. But it's not like we're not having the same kind of experiences. It's just that they don't seem so much to be channeled through a particular sense. It's a kind of almost like a synesthesia that begins to happen at the lower layers. It's almost like mind is what's experiencing everything as opposed to the eyes or the ears or whatever. So just, I'll just toss that out as a, one way of kind of responding to your question, I guess. Yes? Um, so continue on... From what you said, um, I practice vipassana uh, meditation and concentration, and so especially during retreats, um, I think I do enter some 
states that sound similar to what you described, mm-hmm. where you stop really uh, perceiving um, sense doors, mm-hmm. but experience becomes just one flow mm-hmm. of experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or during concentration, you know, sometimes I just stop feeling the body, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and so I'm wondering, like, would you say this, this would be a correct conclusion that it's part of our brain that we are transcending in some way mm. to get to the layers of the mind that actually perceive reality in this unified kind of mm. shape? Mm. I'm just wondering. Yeah, well, it's, a, it's an interesting question, and, and it's um, there certainly is a lot of... Uh, discussion these days about the relationship between meditation practice and the brain and and how we can use our brains or change our brains through our practice that kind of thing Um, and uh, although I have you know read about it to a certain extent I um, I'll just say one thing that comes from Stan Groth uh, that uh, I think maybe colors a little bit my feelings about all the emphasis that's gone into focusing on the brain and how the brain relates to our practice right now. And and it has to do with the fact that um, much of what we know about the brain comes from uh, experiences where, let's say, someone was having a brain surgery and they touched a certain part of the brain and a certain memory came up or a certain kind of experience came to the fore by stimulating a certain part of the brain. And um, so Stan Groff sort of noting that, and he wrote this before neuroimaging was available, so um, I'm not sure what he'd say today, but um, he, he made the point that um, if we conclude that because when we stimulate a certain part of the brain that a certain kind of experience comes forward, that that's the source of that kind of experience. It's analogous to saying that when your TV breaks and all of a sudden you can't get one of the channels because the TV's broken, that the channels exist inside your TV. So my own sense is that our being, our bodily being, our energetic being, uh, as a whole, not just our brain, is a bit like an antenna. So I tend to look at it that way, not so much in terms of the brain. And if, if you want to say, well, so that's sort of a way of transcending the brain, that's a, like a, a way of looking at our being that sort of transcends the way of looking at our being in terms of the brain does this and the heart, you know, all that, that way of looking at our being, that might make some sense. I don't know. I don't Thank know what you. the rest of you think about that comment, but that, that's, I, I have to admit, I'm, although I'm a psychologist and I really appreciate all the research that's being done, I think there's a, va- a huge amount of value in it. I also reserve this kind of skepticism about it because I think there's a deeper thing going on there than just the physiology, just the anatomy, etc. And I think at some point, maybe the scientific world will get to that point. I think there is already some scientific research that comes from that point. And maybe, in fact, uh, um, 
maybe one of the things that I'll put in one of the readings is a chapter from my dissertation about the literature review on subtle energy, because I think that might be interesting. If you're interested in this, this range of things, then that might be an interesting kind of introduction to, oh, here, oh, somebody, oh, somebody did that, wow, that's kind of cool. Yeah. There's an intermediate uh, uh, review by uh, Stan, uh, used to be, he was thrown off faculty and vilified, of course. Um, Jeremy Narby wrote a book called The Cosmic Serpent about his experiences with ayahuasca and uh, his Peruvian shaman, <laughs> uh, Pablo Amaringo, and he was very skeptical about some of the things that had uh, been said about the plant and experiences people had, but what he came, because there were these recurrent cross-culturally archetypal serpentine forms that were arising uh, spontaneously um, uh, in different Aboriginal cultures. And um, what his experience was, was that this was his own DNA, that it, it, that he, 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 he said he was convinced that what he saw that, that it was a light emitting, that our DNA was a light emitting um, transmitter uh, and receiver instantaneously to life mm -hmm. forms throughout the universe. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's just another window right. to look at yeah, it yeah, yeah. from the, in somewhere in between right. the brain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there are other ones that I'm aware of too. I'm not aware of that one. I'd like to, you could send me that, that reference no. too. Um, um, but I, 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 I just think that um, I like to just keep my mind open beyond just the focus that's on the brain right now, because I think I think that there's more to it than that, actually. Uh, not that it's not good and really valuable stuff, but just that you know it's 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 the focus we're on right now, and I think there's going to be a later focus. But yeah, there's a, also just to add to this conversation. There's a kind of a word is called non-local connectivity. Right. Yes. And, and mm -hmm. So this represents a kind of an unknown substance or matrix that isn't requiring time even they, or, or materiality or temporality right right or spatiality mm -hmm. right can react at great distance right cells that were once living and combined yeah separated yeah and yeah. found to react instantly so super liminally you know more than light faster than light mm -hmm. so there's things we really and we're natural beings, so this is at work within us. Yeah, yeah. We just can't have words for them. Yeah. But it's certainly going on. Yeah, and I, and you know, like I'm uh, one of the things that, that I've gotten involved in over the years is Reiki, which is a, a kind of energy healing. And um, you know, when you do Reiki treatment, you don't actually have to be physically present with someone to do it. And I've had so many experiences where I've done a Reiki treatment on someone that was halfway across the country or, you know, on the other side of the town or whatever, and I call them up afterwards and they just describe wow. what happened to them while I was... So it's just, it's, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot to that. And my sense is that as we go back down through the links, what happens is that part of the structuring is the structuring of space and time into the way that we ordinarily experience space and time. And as things get less and less structured, space and time gets less and less structured. And we kind of break into a, a, a place where space and time get pretty deeply unstructured. And then, you know, what we're talking about is non-local non effects. 
who knows? I mean, that's just that's looking at it from the perspective of our usual way of looking at space right. and time. But right. when you deconstruct space and time, our usual way. Yeah, leaving this mind behind mm -hmm. would be a good start. Mm. <laughs> only, only. Yeah. Well, so what I'd like to do is suggest that we do some practice together, and um, so I want to just talk a little bit about what we're going to do. So, um, in my own experience, um, this link of Nama Rupa first comes uh, clearly into vision, so to speak, when we notice the arising of a new sensory experience. And so what happens sometimes is that there's the arising of a, of a sound, for example, and then maybe right afterwards you notice, oh, there's the knowing of the sound. There's the sound, oh, and then there's the knowing of the sound. You might notice that happen. On closer examination, this recognition of the knowing in relation to the object includes the experience of the subject being separate for the first time. That initial sort of uh, sound that's there before the knowing of the sound comes along, the knowing and the sound aren't separate yet. And then they separate out. And so that's, that's the point that I'm kind of trying to point to with my language for this evening. Um, so there's just this split second, and it's really that split second uh, kind of experience um, that, it's a, that in that split second, there's the kind of experience that the Buddha described as in the seeing, there is only the seeing. In the hearing, there is only that which is heard. And then the field of experience splits into, into these two parts of subject and object. And so as we move more deeply into the deconstruction of our sense of self, the direct experiences uh, of the links that are left become increasingly subtle. And so for me, these experiences mostly happened while I was on uh, doing intensive retreat practice. Um, when that's when they first started happening for me. But I, I know um, also from my own experience since then, and also from my dissertation research, that if experienced meditators are pointed towards these experiences, that sometimes it's possible to get a glimpse of them in your everyday practice. And so that's partly why I've designed the exercises that I've designed, is, is to give you the possibility of getting a glimpse. However, if you don't have the kind of experience that I'm pointing to as we do this exercise tonight, um, don't be discouraged, or, or even better, maybe notice your discouragement as just a subjectivity that's come to visit. And keep trying the exercise. Try it at other times. Uh, especially remember the kinds of exercises that we've been doing while you're on retreat. And you might bring them into your retreat practice and see what happens. Part of my intent with these exercises is to give you some ways of investigating in your practice that can be used either in your daily practice or on retreat. And I'm also trying to encourage you to become more investigative in your practice in general. That mindfulness can have differing degrees of investigation attached to it. And I'm trying to nudge you in the direction of more investigation. And that includes following the intuitions that you have about investigations that might interest you. So I'm hoping that um, each of you will be triggered to, gee, I wonder what, I wonder about 
and you'll have some area that you want to investigate in your own direct experience that's related to this teaching of dependent origination. So tonight, um, the exercise that we're going to do is going to involve sitting simply with your eyes open. Uh, I know in Vipassana retreats we oftentimes don't sit with our eyes open, but I'm going to ask you to sit with your eyes open tonight. And um, just focus your mindfulness uh, as your primary focus on your body and the sensations in your body as a whole. And I'm going to be at the back of the room creating some sensory experiences. And I'd like for you to just notice as clearly as you can what happens for you with the arising of each new sensory experience. And then when I ring the bell three times, that then will be done. Yeah? Any chance this could not be... We, uh, we, we, you know... Just the machine. I don't know. The lights sound bad, but the, the wind. The sound. Yeah. Um, but if it's a problem, no worries. I, I like the fact that the light is on just because there's... Well, you'll see. <laughs> so we could... Maybe what I'll do is... That didn't work. Okay. All right. Well, just leave it like that. And, and uh, so we'll start the sitting now. And with your eyes open, I would suggest just staring straight ahead.
So maybe you could just for a few minutes find one other person and just talk a little bit about what your experience of that experience was like. Yeah, come and join
Okay. So, um, just wondering if anyone has anything they'd like to share from their discussion group or from their own experience or questions about the experience or the practice? Yeah. Well, I, we had an interesting uh, dichotomy of experience. I was, I was very relaxed and kind of, uh, but also concentrated because I knew it was, as soon as I got aware of things were coming in. So I was like hypervigilant, but as I said, they were like, Waiting for a little bunny rabbit to show up. Uh -huh. So it wasn't like danger, but hypervigilant uh -huh. for the bunny rabbit. And he was like, what? Okay, I hope I can share her. This is a little annoying as shit was flying by. <laughs> 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 uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, like to me, the vision was like a little elf, like shaking, like rattling things and throwing stuff at me while I'm meditating. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh -huh. To you. No, I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, was, that was your subjectivity. <laughs> no personal offense taken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I found it very familiar. That, oh, oh, yeah. This is what it's like. I remember when my kids were three year old. Uh Yes. Actually, this is similar to what you were saying. Is uh, this gentleman said he felt you when know, something kind of projectile came, he felt joy, and I, I thought, well, my experience of it was that there was this sort of fear, like, you know, a fear response, uh, this sort of uh -huh. survival threat, like, what's, uh, there's something separate uh -huh. from me, and noticing uh, that, like, yeah, but yeah. I thought his mm. telling me that he felt joy, that I was like, really? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, maybe I should have warned you that some... Mm. <laughs> Things were going to come flying around a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> it certainly wasn't my intent to, uh, you know, trigger people's uh, hypervigilance around survival issues or whatever. But <laughs> I think that's the. But I mean, I think that's what our response around the duality is. Is this, on yeah. the basic level, it's this. It's a you know, there's a threat. Yeah, survival. yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, it's true. So, um, I, I, what I was thinking of actually when I created this uh, exercise was more an experience that I sometimes have when I'm outside. Mm -hmm. And I'm just kind of sitting in nature someplace and a bird will zip, just zip by. And it's sometimes in that visual experience of like just suddenly there's something new in my visual field that I can get a glimpse of some of these subtler layers of dependent origination. So I, I was sort of trying to recreate that, and maybe it didn't quite come off, I don't know, but... <laughs> yes? So is part of what we're hearing here, uh, how different people experience this, maybe related to their uh, Buddhist personality type? Of, you know, I mean, Possible. The, uh, I'm the greed type saying, oh yeah, more bells, you know, uh -huh. give, give me another airplane, it's fun, and, 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 and other people are, you know, no. More, other people might be more like me, the, the aversion type. Yeah. <laughs> or, and some people just miss it, you know. And yeah, so, yeah. So, um, I, I, I guess that leads to the question then, how, how is it, uh, how does it uh, shake out differently going through these, this progression of 12 for the different personality types. Can you talk about that? Um, well, I'll just say a few words about it. First of all, I, my sense is that mostly in terms of how we experience ourselves in our sort of ordinary uh, personalities of being a separate sense of self in the world and then responding to the world, it mostly it, it occurs in the level of like craving, grasping, and becoming. Mm -hmm. 
that's mostly where it comes in. And um, you know, some of us might have more of a tendency to have aversive craving come into our lives and less of a tendency to have attractive craving come into our lives and some the other way around. And some people are more just kind of, uh, they're, they're, maybe they don't respond much to the things that happen. They respond less. So they might be a, a, like a, a, a duller uh, ignorant type. Um, I don't know how to say it. I mean, it's not, it's not, there's not a value judgment placed on that. We all have that as an aspect of how we experience the world. And I, I, there's not a value judgment placed on, I mean, if anything, aversive's the worst, you know? <laughs> so um, at least that's my judgment of myself, I suppose. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so, so, the, the, so, so I'll say that. But then the other thing I'll also say is that down at the bottom layer here, and the kinds of experiences that can present themselves, particularly beneath the link that we looked at today, beneath the link of Nama Rupa, that those kinds of experiences are um, subtle ways of relating to the world that can deeply get integrated with um, the underlying nature of, of, of reality. They can get integrated with suchness, so, that, so to speak. And when they do, there's like a layer, there are four, there's a, 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 a series of five of them that are related to the five Buddha families in the Tibetan tradition. And each of them has a diluted experience, like if we're going down through the, dependent, the links of dependent origination and we come to that link, or when we're coming up and we come to that link, and we're not really seeing with also the integration of suchness into our experience, then we experience the diluted version of that family, that Buddha family. But if we have some experience of suchness and we're able to like allow those links to occur without losing touch with that suchness, then there's the possibility of experiencing to some extent through the lens of the enlightened version of each of the Buddha families from the Tibetan perspective. So I'll just say that much. Leslie, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted more, but uh, I hear that you've done that that, well, that Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, so anyway, uh, but, um, I think that uh, this is probably a good point to end. It's a couple minutes after nine and I don't want to go over. So um, thank you all for coming. Uh, it's been a pleasure again to share this time with you and I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.